Join myself and Jason at MicroConf 2011, June 6 and 7 in Las Vegas. For more information, go to microconf.com and enter in TechZing to get $100 off a ticket. Welcome to episode 126 of TechSing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Keith Persain of Zors, a performance marketing firm in San Diego. Hey, Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Okay, so Keith and myself connected on Startup Guild, and we basically had a chat initially via text just about the possibility of Keith affiliate marketing Plugio. As regular listeners of the show will know, I've been looking for a good affiliate marketer to help market Plugio. Then we ended up having a Skype chat and we spoke for about two hours on Skype. And as I was talking to Keith, it occurred to me, wow, this guy really knows his Wee. Okay, so that was when I thought, wow, this is going to be an interesting interview. It'd be great to get him on the show and just kind of dispel some of the myths and the strangeness that people think about affiliate marketing. Mm. Um, so what what was very interesting to me was that that your whole approach to affiliate marketing is, it seems like a high-end boutique approach. Um, and, and that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. So just to get started with your story, how do you make money uh, through affiliate marketing and, and what's your approach? To, to give a little bit of background, I started in affiliate marketing about four years ago and moved to full time pretty quickly because I was able, you know, it was still, you know, still doing AdWords and it was still much easier to do AdWords PPCs and affiliate. You could make a small site and make good money pretty quickly. The world has changed since then. And because there's, you know, over the last three years especially, there's been a huge spate of, of work-at-home offers by major affiliates saying, hey, learn all of my secrets. I'll help train you. And they don't really ever sell anything of substance, but they get a, bu- they get a bunch of people into PPC affiliate marketing. And excuse me, what that ended up doing is it made PPC in general as an affiliate both highly hyper-competitive, and Google very critical of affiliates. It became very hard to be an affiliate on pay-per-click, on uh, paid search, even Google Content Network or anything else. So what we ended up doing was we said, well, wait a minute here. Why would we bother competing with anyone if we don't have to? I've been doing business development as for agencies for a very long time and to run my own business, so said, let's go ahead and just do this on, on an exclusive basis. So we ended up deciding we'd make deals with companies where we're the only one allowed to do particular things. The advantage being then that I don't have to worry about some other affiliate duplicating my website. Instead, I have something that no one else can do. A lot more long-term security. So basically, you cut deals with sites one-on-one, like you're cutting a deal with Plugio, and you sort of hunt out those sites, you hunt out good products, and you just say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a very uh, kind of, uh, well, I don't know, how, how, how do you pitch? I mean, how do you kind of impress them that you know what you're doing and that they should kind of sign an exclusivity contract with you? We're, we're going after people's self-interest. So when it's a company that is saying, I want to increase sales, we're saying, we're doing it on a performance basis. You're paying for profit. You're only paying us a percentage of sale. We ask for nothing else. Or if there's an ad agency, we're saying, hey, look, you've got competitors or other merchants that are showing up on paid search for this. We're going to show up right beneath your client's result and get people going through their website that wouldn't have been normally. And either way, they always look at that and go, oh, it's more money in my pocket. 
And at the same time, to get to them, it's word of mouth and just cold calls. I seriously will. I'll, I'll go through phone directories. You know, I'll even go, th- I'll call up a company and go through the listings until I find the online marketing manager and just say, hey, I'm an affiliate and we're a high-end affiliate and we'd like to do this with you. And half the time they're like, what? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> affiliates don't make that effort. They don't. Yeah, it- it's amazing uh, actually, what actually a phone call will do compared to just sending mm-hmm. an email. Um, yes. One of my first businesses, I mean, that was kind of how, this is sort of pre-internet or, or early phase internet, 96, 97, 98. And uh, we'd do the same thing. I mean, it, sometimes we just, you'd send out like a direct mail to, the, to these sort of target customers and then just do a follow-up phone call. Mm-hmm. And, but now people have gotten so lazy, they feel like, oh, I'll just use some SEO or some ads, I'll just sit back and hope everyone comes to me. And mm-hmm. if you actually know who your target clients are, I mean, just go get them. You know, why sit around mm-hmm. and hope, wait for them to knock on your door? Yeah, and if you can come to a no-brainer proposition, just say, you're not paying anything to me up front to do this. All I'm doing is I'm just requiring a contract with some terms, and then off we go. They typically go, well, there's no harm in that, I guess. So it's pretty easy to get the contract. So you, you, you said that you'll, um, you'll have your ad below their ad. So this is like in a Google mm-hmm. search or something mm-hmm. like that? Like a Google, what's that? I can't, I was, it's AdWords, right? Paid search, yeah, AdWords. Paid search, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, so in, in effect, you're increasing the surface area of potential mm-hmm. uh, click, click-throughs or something. Is that, yes. is that right? Yeah, so you can, you can assume like, say, position one can have anywhere from 10 to 20% click-through rate if it's well optimized position two could have say five to ten percent if they're only getting that top one again they're getting maybe ten to twenty percent of clicks but we can then kick them from ten to twenty percent to a total of fifteen to thirty percent of clicks on paid search ads that will and they will eventually go through the merchant's website we have to build our own most of the time unless we do a direct deal but this way they know that I guess a good example is, let's say you have a merchant that has a product that's also resold by other online companies, and they would rather have it go through their official site because they have a higher margin. What we do is then we're another result that still drives traffic through the official website, and they they therefore make a higher margin than they would have if it went through a reseller. Okay, I have a question about that then. Now, how do you guarantee that you're going to show below below their uh, ad and not above it? Is there a way to specify that? We have we have software that helps us manage position, and we just keep a close eye on it. Sometimes someone will change a bit. It happened once when we were working with Kraft, and uh, I get this frantic phone call. You're showing up above the official listing. I'm like, oh, oh, hang on. Let me fix that. Click, click, click. Call me back in 10 minutes. They call back in 10 minutes. Okay, it's fine now. Okay, and one more, <laughs> one more question about that. Now, you, you know, this is for AdWords. Do you also do AdSense? I mean, how does AdSense work in comparison to AdWords? Or is, even, is it even something you focus on? You know, we do plenty of AdSense. Um, it's just a different animal than paid search. With paid search, you're bidding on intent, and you're bidding on a term that's indicative of what a person is literally doing right now. So I guess intent and action. And we're very good on that side, and it's easier to understand and to optimize. AdSense is a different animal where you're bidding on just content on the page and trying to pull someone away from stuff. We actually, we used to do more AdSense, but now we've turned to Facebook ads. Because Facebook ads, in my experience, have a higher ROI than uh, than, uh, 
Google AdSense. But less of an ROI than AdWords. I mean, is it sort of in, is it sort of second second tier? It's um, you know, not actually less of an ROI. It's just a different animal. With Facebook, you're bidding on people and their interests, and you're trying to appeal to that interest and then to hook them in to your sales funnel or your product information stream. What you're looking to do with Facebook is to grab a person and add add to their interests your product. So we we have uh, essentially cut a deal, uh, Keith and myself, for Plugio. So Keith is going to affiliate market Plugio. And one of the difference, differences between this and uh, well, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm. I guess I'm speaking for, on Keith's behalf, and I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But the impression I get is that generally speaking, you don't cut deals where you drive PPC directly to the site. Is that correct? We do actually wherever we can. Uh, it's there's a couple criteria. It has to be a product with a clear market. It has to be a product that is clearly good. It has to be a product that is clearly well positioned. So you know. If, if some guy comes to me with the product and says, I've got an awesome product, will you market it for me direct? And I look at it and go, well, you have a widget that I don't even know what there's a market for. It's very hard to do that. But at the same time, when you have a product that is pretty much like there, it's kind of like, okay, I'll do that. Because it's, <laughs> it's a lot lower risk. I am putting all the money up front to do it. But I also have good terms with you, so it means that what money I do put in, if we even get a moderate success out of it, it's a success for both you and I. So now we have literally signed contracts, which states that I cannot send any direct traffic via Google, via paid search to Plugio. You basically have that entire marketing um, budget and, and my and marketing capability. And also no other affiliates can, can send traffic to Plugio uh, via Google. So talk, talk us through that and you know why you set that up and what, what the issues are related to that. One of them is Google's policies. If you have two, let's say that you were trying to do paid search at the same time as me and we're both driving directly to your website. If we bid on the same keyword for even a very short time, what can end up happening is that Google may look at that and go, there's two accounts sending traffic of the same domain on the same keyword. One of them doesn't get to do this anymore. Ban. Hmm. Interesting. So we want no risk of anyone getting kicked off AdWords because that's an event that you really can't undo. So And so so why why do you have contracts? Why why did I have to sign a contract? At the same time, it's it's a little bit of risk mitigation for myself and it's also a clarification of exactly how how the relationship goes forward. Because when as an affiliate frequently frequently there's very little in the way of definition. It's, oh, we're an affiliate for you. And there's nothing formalized. There's no written agreement saying, this is what I'm going to do, this is what you're going to do. There's This way there's a clarification of responsibilities, and there's also a clarification for your own protection of what I can't do, that I have to make sure I represent you accurately and clearly and truthfully. So you also understand that, you know, that I, I am out to make your brand and your company and your product look good. And then this way, we're all clear on, every, on what everyone gets to do and the limits of that. So the other thing is, if you, do a, if you do a great PPC campaign and we didn't have any kind of contract, I could basically just look at what you're doing and just replicate it, right? If you had access to the AdWords account. So, so I was talking to Sebastian about this and about the whole deal that we've cut. And um, 
Sebastian's an, a, a friend of ours and he's also on Startup Guild. And um, he, we, we've spoken to him on a couple of shows as well. So one of the things that he, I, I was talking, I was talking him through this deal, and and he was finding it difficult to understand something. And I'd love you to talk that through, just for uh, Sebastian's sake. So he was saying, what, what I was saying was, okay, so this is the way it is, and you know, there could be a point where Keith is bringing in a hundred, he's brought in a hundred thousand of revenue, and he's basically taking forty percent of that revenue um, through because of the affiliate deal. And so Sebastian said, well, hold on a second that's for life and i'm i'm like yeah that's it for life so he he could just do a, a one month's work and then he be, could be getting 40,000 a year for the rest of his life he wouldn't have to do anything else so sebastian was saying why why how does i, I don't understand that like why so it would be great to and like personally i don't have an issue with that but I, I think it's great for you to talk through that and explain that it isn't necessarily for life it is so long as we maintain the uh, maintain that affiliate relationship so long as i don't break the contract and you don't break the contract and it's basically stating that so long as we maintain that healthy business relationship the commissions continue to flow as an affiliate if that relationship is severed for whatever reason anything that's outstanding left to be paid that's already been earned has to be paid but then after that that's that that's part of the risk that i take as an affiliate and part of the reason why when i do direct paid search that I'm the one who has the account and the knowledge and all that time and effort built up. And then part of my own protection is that I know now this market and I don't necessarily want to take it anywhere else, but I can sit and say, okay, my, my information, my effort has been protected. And if something happens with the client where they decide to do it themselves after that, they have to basically start from square one. Well, one of the answers that I gave to Sebastian was that, I myself, if, if I wanted to go out and do, a, if I was a traditional company, I don't know, let's say a bookshop in the, in the real world, I wanted to do marketing, it would not be unheard of for me to spend 40% on my marketing budget. I mean, that is just a typical marketing spend. So my thought was, what is wrong with spending 40% on getting new customers? Is it, like I said to Sebastian, you're thinking I'm losing 40,000, whereas I'm thinking I'm gaining 60,000. Exactly. That's how it works. It's money you would not have made otherwise. You know, I'm thinking we should have a new segment of, on our show called Contract Review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense, right? I mean, because Justin, you only have, you really only have so many hours in the day. You're a one-man show. Mm -hmm. You got to write code. You have to figure out, um, you know, conversion stuff. You got to help customers. You got to do all these sorts of things. So I guess in a sense, an affiliate uh, arrangement is, is in another way of outsourcing part of your business. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but let's not forget, I also hate PPC and don't want to have anything to do with it. You hate it because, <laughs> because, I mean, because it's hard and it's complicated and you don't understand it's, it. It's or? hard, it's complicated, it's boring, it's so statistical. The statistical analysis you've got to do, I mm -hmm. mean, you have to be, you have to have kind of an, I mean, maybe I'm, this is an insult, but I don't mean it as an insult. You kind of have to have an accountant's brain to, to, to get through that kind of level of statistical analysis or maybe an actuary's brain. <laughs> Or, or you have to be like me, and you have to be ambidextrous almost completely. So I can both intuitively understand stuff and still sit down and pull it up in Excel and figure it out. It's the only way to do it. Otherwise, <laughs> you get driven completely bonkers doing PPC. Well, the thing about, I think, uh, running a startup is that you have to quickly figure out what parts of the business you're good at and can do yourself mm -hmm. and what parts you can outsource. And Justin, mm -hmm. you clearly have figured out that this is a part of the business that you don't really want to do. And usually the parts that you don't want to do, you're not so good at. So you might as well outsource them anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That makes sense. 
and and even at the even at the profit or even at the the profit margin that you make off of it, it's you know sixty percent of it is revenue to you. You're also putting zero time and effort in in generating that revenue. So your 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 overall cost for that dollar, you may pay forty cents on the dollar to me for a new account, but then again, your your additional costs on that are maybe a few cents. So most of it is all profit, and you're taking very little time to generate that sale. Right. Okay, so let's say we just to, just to finish off that argument. Let's say we work together for a year, mm-hmm. and you pull you you pulled in a hundred thousand dollars worth of sales through your efforts during that year. Well, first of all, Justin, if you make a hundred thousand dollars, you're taking everyone on Startup Guild out to dinner. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just, as long as we're going to go along with this thought experiment, I'm, so I'm throwing that out there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you, you so the the traffic that you drive every mm-hmm. the traffic that you drive every year brings in a hundred thousand. So now you're getting forty thousand. Now the way that the Plugio affiliate program is set up is that you will get forty you will get that forty thousand as long as anyone you've passed over it, it remains a subscriber. So it doesn't really matter what happens between us and our deals. Mm. So you could you could just work for one year and for another five years you could end up with forty thousand a year. That is the issue that he's he's saying. Yeah. Okay, see, that's not fair. There, there's absolutely no reason for me to stop marketing. If I just if I got you a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, myself forty thousand dollars in commissions for one year, I should probably turn that into eighty thousand, then up to one hundred and sixty, and then keep going. Because why would I stop? Because yeah, right. I just look at it and I go, why? Why stop? There's you know, in, in this business as an affiliate, it is literally a numbers game. It is cold, hard, unsympathetic numbers. I look at a spreadsheet and I look through every campaign, every last thing I do, and I go, is this profitable? Yes, no. Do I expect it to be profitable? Yes, no. If both are no, gone. It doesn't matter who it is. But at the same time... So how time, many campaigns do you run? Oh, God. Uh... <laughs> I think we've got like 190 active right now. Some are small, some are big. At one point, we had almost 450 search campaigns running daily. Wow. Well, why, same, why do you have um, so many fewer now? We, well, we, we narrowed our focus down. There were also a lot of changes in the affiliate industry. Uh, there's been a lot of issues with taxes. Uh, California is still attempting to pass. In fact, I, I good thing I'm mentioning this is that California is attempting to pass AB 153, which is an affiliate nexus tax, which basically says that if you're an affiliate marketer in California and a person in California buys a product through, say, Amazon or Overstock, Amazon or Overstock or any merchant out of state that doesn't have a presence still has to pay sales tax because you as an affiliate are considered an in-state presence for that out-of-state retailer. Does that, mean, does that mean you're moving from California to somewhere like Nevada? Uh, possibly Colorado. They've already gone through the whole mess and have come out the other side without the law. Um, but the, so are you based in California now? I am based in California now. I don't want to leave, but there's one other bill, and this is one that every startup should know about. SB 234 is attempting to take that whole nexus thing a step further by saying any contractor, any service provider any sort of company that in any way has a paid relationship with a com- with the retailer that is out of state makes that retailer have an in-state nexus. So if you, Justin, did some, let's just say just for the sake of argument, you did some web design work for an out-of-state retailer, but you're in California, suddenly that out-of-state retailer has an in-state presence and has to charge sales tax. 
period. So it is a law that could quite completely kill many online businesses for anyone who's trying to work with out-of-state companies. That is ridiculous. Well, well, I mean, I guess the, the states are in such bad financial shape, they're doing whatever they can to try and uh, bring in some revenue. And obviously that's, mm-hmm. they, you know, cutting programs is so politically painful mm-hmm. that the next thing is to, is to pass taxes, but passing employment taxes are, is really yeah. hard politically. So the, to do sneaky things like this, and hopefully that yeah. it will go underneath the, um, the eyes of, of, the, of, of the, you know, I guess most, most mainstream media. So Yeah, well, even having a web host with a server on a rack in California, even if the web host is in Texas still qualifies as a California state presence. So it's, it's something that it actually is one of the reasons why we have fewer campaigns. We used to have a huge number because we were able to manage that number effectively. They were all very small, though. There were little campaigns. Now they're a lot larger overall, but narrowed down because we're dealing with retailers that we're not concerned about that with. They're not charging sales tax. And I'm not worried about them doing that. I'm doing leads or I'm doing online software or anything else where I'm not worrying about the tax situation. And that's made my life much easier and much more secure. So I'd rather focus on that. The other part is the uh, WordPress. We had huge numbers of WordPress sites and we stopped using it because it was just too big of a target. So we developed our own Ruby-based CMS that we use for all of our systems now. So... um Okay. Uh, one thing you meant, you actually talk, mentioned on your blog a little bit about this uh, Ruby-based CMS system. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Why why you're working on that? Well, I one of my uh, my app company co-founders at Gotham showed me Ruby on Rails a while back, and I fell in love with it pretty much instantly. So it was far easier for me to code in, uh, to far easier for me to code in Ruby than in PHP, and we also dealt with a huge number of attempts. Affiliate marketing is filled with a huge number of very shady players. And a lot of them are trying to figure out ways to, you know, to hack your site or their script kitties that run scripts to try and stick an affiliate link or Viagra link or something in your site via JavaScript exploits and WordPress, trying to keep that up to date um, across well past 450 sites was a large and very significant effort. And so we ended up developing a system that's, that basically has a series of control centers that that compile and distribute all of the content into Amazon CloudFront. So what we ended up creating is literally a, a NoSQL CMS where we can create a site, generate all the content, and have interactive functions without having an admin console or any other manner of it being cracked. You'd actually have to gain physical access to our S3 buckets or Heroku in order to crack them. And it's also far faster and we pay much less for bandwidth because all of our usage is hourly based. So if we find a high enough demand for some sites, we crank up the resources and then when the demand tails off, it cranks back down. So we cut our hosting bill by about 70%, which was a significant savings. Wow. Now, now is this, so basically for all of your, well, for, for the majority of your campaigns, you mm-hmm. create individual sites, basically landing pages, which are completely separate sites to the end to the end product site, and then you advertise those sites with PPC. Now, why why do you do that? 
what can you just explain i mean i know it's kind of not a novice thing but just it's be useful to explain why you do that well it's no longer just landing pages but i'll, I'll explain why uh, in general we create these interstitial sites for two reasons one is because you know we can't directly we have to create something in between the paid search ad and and the merchant and as the majority of our campaigns, we don't get direct link. You know, that's a requirement in order to do it. The other part there, too, is because then we control the message. And if you see on paid search, and let's say you go searching for XYZ widgets, and you see XYZ widgets company in the first listing. Well, if you'd already decided you were going to buy XYZ widgets, yeah, you'd probably click on the link and you probably would buy it through them. You're not who we're trying to get. If you're like, so what is XYZ Widgets? Well, you don't necessarily trust XYZ Widgets site, but you do trust somebody who says an in-depth review of XYZ Widgets. And you go check out our site, and now you've got huge, massive content. XYZ Widgets used day one. You've got 30 days of use of it. How to get your warranty taken care of. What other competitors are there that might be better? What's the... The other things about XYZ widgets that you should know, a whole host of information, and it turns people that would not necessarily have been a a customer of XYZ widgets into someone who says, all right, I'm going to buy it, or says, no, I'm not up for XYZ widgets, but I'll certainly go for San Diego widgets. I mean, hey, I've got the commission either way. And I've also provided a good service because now the person is happy and has understood the product and the whole thing and has really been informed. So we're going after a specific segment. Do you Keep, offer genuine impartial advice or do you try and tilt yes. it one way or another? Genuine impartial advice, because it's not valuable otherwise. People will detect a tilt. There are always some people that think, oh, well, it's biased because of X, but it's like, no, we'll say. You know, we'll say XYZ widgets. Well, four of their widgets are pretty awesome, but this one up here, don't buy it. And people <laughs> trust this more, but it's an honest review. So how how um how much A/B testing do you do with these uh, I, I guess these landing pages or, or what do you call it interstitial sites? Mm-hmm. It has been um, you know so one of the things about also the number of campaigns is that the number of sites has dropped as we've got more campaigns running to single sites that contain more content, but still with A/B testing you do a fair amount. Uh, we wrote a multivariate tool in Ruby a while back. But again, it's built into the CMS. It's not a it's not a DNS based one. Uh, the advantage, though, with it, you know, with A/B testing for us or multivariate is you know good optimization. But the other problem is that when you have a campaign with with tens of thousands of clicks a day, multivariate testing is absolutely essential because you've got so much data to go off of. Other campaigns where you're dealing with ten clicks, maybe a day you really can't do much testing because the amount of time required to get a required to get a statistically significant data set it takes you a long time to do that and on top of that in that span of time your data becomes stale and no longer as relevant because when you're gathering a thousand clicks over 10 weeks well, you can, you can look at that, that together and say, okay, that's 1,000 clicks over 10 weeks, but then you go, that's 10 weeks, and you know, we're now three months along, over three months along, and I don't know how relevant this information is any longer. Right, right. So how, um, how do you decide on what are good clients for you um, and, which, and, and who, 
wouldn't be a good client. So, for instance, I mean, you 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 noticed uh, Plugio. I mean, what what was mm-hmm. it about Plugio that appealed to you? Hootsuite. Hootsuite. Okay. I looked at I looked at I looked at Hootsuite and I said, Hootsuite, Hootsuite, Hootsuite. I don't like Hootsuite. Is there something better? And I thought I'd asked myself that a while back because I had a Hootsuite account. And then you know, Justin, and I saw Plugio. I'm like, okay. Here's a product that's a good competitor. Checked and saw that you have good search ranking. I'm like, okay, it's established. It's in a vertical that obviously has interest. And people are probably looking for alternatives. People are probably looking for this software. This is a successful marketplace. And, you know, it's an established product and you've got a solid ranking. So those are the basic criteria. If I can look at that and go, okay, this is a pretty safe bet. It's a product that's making money, that's already got some momentum behind it, and then I can take that momentum. It's like, you know, if you're trying to pedal a bike, you know, or try <laughs> pedal a tricycle that's got a load on the back, you know, or a tuk tuk, you know, as in a, you know, uh, like in Thailand, you know, trying to move something along there and like, all right, trying to go from a from a dead stop a lot harder than pedaling just a little bit faster. Right. Right. So he has momentum. So he, he has momentum. It's, an, it's, it's a proven market because of Hootsuite. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and you, what, did you look at the product and decide that it was a, you know, a quality or comparable to something like Hootsuite or could be comparable? And, and you figured mm-hmm. that, and were that were, those were the, uh, the criteria? Mm-hmm. So Jason, just to say, the, the other thing is, is that Keith, uh, um, Keith isn't, uh, as far as I'm aware, like 110% committed to moving forward with Plugio for the rest of his life. It's more like, okay, we've signed a contract. Now we're, now we're going to do some testing to see if we can really start making some conversions. So we're still in the middle of the, yeah. of the whole opening <laughs> well, testing. That goes to stay with everything, right, Justin? I mean, I, yeah. you know, who's, 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 con- who's committed to going forward 100%, 100% with anything for any length of time? I mean, you are for right now. So that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So here's, here's my question. I mean, Will you be working with Justin uh, on giving him feedback if you think there are things that could dramatically improve your ability to market the product? Yes. Absolutely. Because okay. if I don't, then I'm not going to make as much money. Yeah, so Justin's you, not going to get as many users. Right. So do you have some ideas already? I mean, have you, have you already, do you already have a list of, of you know, maybe feature requests or changes to his website copy or any other things that uh, you think? I think, think of? landing pages was my guess. Yeah, landing pages is going to be probably one of the first things. But uh, my, my other, half, um, other half of my business, my wife, who does you know, all of our copy reviews and a lot of analysis is... You know, I'm going to have her look over the site, and you know, we'll take, we'll do some tests, figure out what worked, what didn't, and then go, okay, let's add this, add this, and do this, and then test that again. And right. we kind of take an incremental approach. You can't do a huge amount up front. You just have to, you have to run some traffic just to find out. Will people even click the ads? Will people even go to the page and do anything with it? Let's figure that out first, and then do the next step past that. It's just an incremental approach. Uh, if you try to do too much in one go. You're not gonna. You're either gonna make a decision without data to back it up, or you're not gonna get the data to ever understand what the effect of your decisions are. So, so one of the criteria is the fact that it's an established market, and there's and there's sort of a major player, uh, namely uh, Hootsuite. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the case of Plugio, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's sort of this. Um, I don't know if it's it's sort of a gut reaction that people have. It's like, oh, this is market and there's this major player. You, you can't compete, right? It, it's, it's already owned. They have, they have so much money. They're VC funded. They have, 
um, I don't know, Mindshare, what, whatever it is. I mean, any market uh-huh. you go to, if you say, if, if you go and you, if you go tell a, a, you know, a bunch of people and even other entrepreneurs, like, hey, here's my idea, people are like, oh, it already exists and they're already big and they're VC funded. I mean, it almost sounds to me that you're like, great, that's perfect. Let's go get them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, because no matter how well funded you are, no matter how well established you are, no matter anything about yourself, so long if XYZ widgets, okay, or even Plugio versus Hootsuite here, if you've got a good product, you can compete on paid search because no matter what, the other guy, his paid search listings, all of that, it's profit based. Oh, sure, he can try and outbid you and stay in position one. Doesn't matter. You're still going to be in position two and you're going to make money. So no matter what, no matter what he wants to do, no matter what anyone says about any product, there is always an opportunity to compete on, you know, especially on paid search because paid search is all profit based. People right. do not bid on paid search to no profit end unless they're idiots. Right. So it's, it kind of reminds me of like when you're watching the Tour de France and, and, and you, you have mm-hmm. a guy who's, who's cycling up front and everybody else is drafting behind him. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And so you're kind of drafting, right? You're just like, all right, great. Go for it. Go make a break for it. I'm just going to draft yeah. behind you and, you know, get as much as I can out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Living social versus Groupon. Yeah. But I mean, also just, just generally speaking, you know, we've seen that just to be a competitor, I mean, that there's nothing wrong with being a competitor. I mean, a lot of people will think you shouldn't compete in a marketplace, but that's kind of silly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people sort of, I, I, there's sort of this conf, people, a tendency to conflate the idea of like IP um, trademarking and stuff like, oh, mm-hmm. someone's doing something and therefore you, you, you know, if you create something that's similar or solves a similar problem, that somehow you're a clone or a copycat. But really, there's no, you're competing, which is how the world works. And actually, that's exactly. better for the marketplace. It's better for consumers because mm-hmm. the more choices you have, the, the, the more competition are, the more innovation is going to be, the more efficient the market's going to be mm-hmm. in the sense the prices are going to be lower. In, in the worst case, you can, the, worst, the worst situation for anyone is there to be a monopoly. And the mm-hmm. innovation ceases because it's, it's only in the best interest of the, of the monopoly to spend as little money as they have to and, and mm-hmm. everyone's going to pay for it anyway. So then they just don't do anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that nobody, there's nothing, it's very easy, and I see this with all the startup people saying, oh, well, there's something there, okay, I can't do it. It's like, you don't have to be first. You can be second. Just make a better product or out-market and out-maneuver the other guy. And if you can't do both or can't do one of those, then just draft behind him. You're still going to make money, and it's okay. You. So what if the guy, you know, okay, so the other company that's ahead of you in the market sells for $100 million and you sell for $20 million. You still sold for $20 million. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Who well, you know, there's cares? A, you know, there's sort of that tendency, I think, in studies of happiness that people, when looking at their their um, their income, how happy they are, or their net worth, mm-hmm. that it's, it's relative to the people around you. So if you live in a small town and you make $60,000 a year and everyone around you makes like fifteen or $20,000, mm-hmm. you, you are the kingpin, right? You're living mm-hmm. the life of Riley. But yeah. you could be making half a million dollars living on Wall Street and all your buddies are making three or $4 million a year and you feel like a pauper. You feel terrible. And mm-hmm. I actually knew a guy in this position It was, and I saw oh, it firsthand. Wow. I was like, hilarious. He'd call me up and was like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to quit. You know, and I'm like, dude, you're making $350,000 a year and you work like six hours a day. 
I mean, yeah, give me SDFU. a break. <laughs> give me a break. But yeah. I mean, I think it's the same thing for a startup, right? Like, oh, you know, they, they, you know, they're worth hundreds of millions. I'm like, look, you know, you, right? You just like, just as you said, you know, you can sell mm-hmm. for an order of magnitude less than that, and you're still mm-hmm. going at, on any sort of absolute scale. You're going to have a major success in your hands. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just it's something else that venture capitalists need to remember too, because it's an experience I had, where you know, we started this apps company. We had a product. We were trying. We had a very different and unique and compelling product that we were trying to develop and it wasn't an established market but are we got so much resistant from vcs because they're like oh there's all these other companies in it and everything i'm like so what i've got a better product i can outmarket them these guys aren't doing anything but they wouldn't listen and it's something that vexes me it's like come on both this both the entrepreneurs and the vcs need to sit there and go so what if you sell in second place, you still sold. You still got a return. Just do it. So could um, sort of any aspiring entrepreneur, let's say that, um, well, you could just look on Startup Guild, right? You have a bunch mm-hmm. of aspiring entrepreneurs, most of them uh, technical entrepreneurs, right? They have an mm-hmm. idea. There's something they want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, it would almost seem like it would be interesting to have a bunch of them pitch you say, hey, if I was able to build this product in this space and in hmm. assuming that it, I did a reasonably good job of it, but I mean, not, not getting commitment out of you. Is this something that you think would be worth your time to, um, to market? I mean, that mm-hmm. would almost be a good test of it because, because with your experience in, uh, and being able to look at these space, these, um, these opportunities, you'd be able to say, yeah, you know what, you know, sure. That would be great to compete or no, I've got something to say about that, but I'd like Keith to answer first, yeah. but I've got an interesting observation about that. Yeah. It's something I'm always interested in because I, I I think that you know while I'm also you know, becoming a startup, developing our own software and tools, and taking this mindset where then I don't care if number two. I mean, I'm about to go compete with Basecamp. I'll, I'll tell you guys about that at some point when we do the beta okay. for the new product. But the the thing is, yeah, if you've got something compelling to talk to me, I I, I want to see it. And even if I can't do it, uh, you should still do it because if you've got a compelling product, it may be a space with other players. But if you you can appeal to a niche, you can say like you know like with Plugio, it's not a tweet deck replacement, but it's for a particular type of thing. Well, that makes sense. And even if out of that whole market of a million people, you only appeal to ten percent, a hundred thousand yeah. people. You're still appealing to a hundred thousand people. That's a yeah. lot of people, and you can reach them. It's a lot of money too. Yeah, I mean, can imagine if you converted ten percent of those people at nine ninety nine a month. That's a lot of money. Oh, a hundred thousand dollars a month. Yeah. yeah. That if you just have an idea, right? And let's say, let's say I just had an idea, and I said to Keith, "Hey, Keith, I've got this idea for this product." Will you affiliate market it? You know, w- would it be worth my while building that product? Keith may go, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Now I've got to go away and make that happen. But remember the, the primary criteria that Keith was looking for in the first place. It was a product that was well-established, that already had proven sales and all this other stuff. That's going to take uh, you a year, right? That's going to take you a year to get to that point, right? It's st- so. those, are, those are factors I like. But if, you're, if you've got a product that is compelling and you're in an established market. Not necessarily saying that you yourself have to be super established. Those were those were major plus points that made it a no-brainer for me. But if a startup comes to me and says, we've got a product and we're competing in this segment, and it's an awesome product, and here's why. And I look at that and go, wow, that is an awesome product. That's still a no-brainer. I mean, if you've got a 
really innovative way that's, you know, to approach a market that is highly appealing that I look at and go, I'm not going to have much trouble turning people into customers and you've got a clear monetization strategy. All right, go for it. Let's do a test. Because, you know, I guess I should differentiate. With an established product like Plugio, you know, all of those factors, those were what I looked for in a product where you've got some time in and where you've you know, you've put that effort in there and you've got a great product overall. That's great stuff about it. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be that way. If you've got an awesome product, even if you've just released a month ago, but your sales process and your support is good and you've got a really awesome product itself, that's also very appealing. You know, and just for a clear and just for a clarification, Justin, I mean, when you created Plugio, you worked on it for about two months. You put up a list, and then you came out of the gate, and after it was like two months, a little more, I don't think it was quite three months. Three months. I don't know it was quite that long. I mean, I think you released it, maybe it was a month of beta, okay, uh, after this. So you worked on it for two months, released it after a month of beta, and then you were, out of the gate, you're making like five or $700 a month, right? Yeah, yeah, that is true. And that was the right? time that so, I was really searching for someone like Keith, but I just, I didn't, found, I didn't find them. Yeah, so, so just, just to be clear, I mean, you know, for people who are listening to this, I mean, it wasn't like it took you a year of hard, dedicated work to go from zero to making, now you're what, making about, I mean, about $1,800 a month your last month, right? I mean, you, out of the gate, were up at five, six $600 a month, which I'm guessing, Keith, you would look at that and say, okay, well, there's an opportunity here, right? Yeah. There, there would have been a lot more work from Keith's point of view at that stage, though, because remember mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole landing page, it, I mean, it was, it was really bad all of that stage. But uh, another thing, question I have for you, Keith, is, okay, so let's say people, so it's, in a sense, it, it's almost like you're, like a like a mini angel if you're doing something like that right so how much would you put how much cash do you put on a line to test out something like plugio or to test out one of these other companies typically anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars um you know is like the starting test it really just bluntly depends it depends on how broad your focus is. And if there is a company that comes to me and says, hey, we've got an awesome product, and I look at go, wow, you're attacking a big market, that might be too big of a fish. I mean, I, I don't have you know $50,000 to just spend on a test campaign to see if it'll stick like someone's trying to hit the general travel market. It's a lot harder to go after a broad market, but if we can focus on a particular niche, then it's a lot easier. It's, you know, it's the same sort of uh, feedback I have for a lot of startups. You don't necessarily need to attack a broad market right out of the gate. Hipmunk is a good example of that. They have an awesome way of doing travel search, but they're not just trying to get out there and hit travel in general. They're talking to geeks and talking to people. They're going to be very interested in this type of product anyway, and they have a very narrow focus for now so that they can refine their product. And that's, in my opinion, the way to do it. Because in that way, I also have, I, I will admit, I have a lot lower risk on the start. And I'm not going to try and attack travel as a keyword. Oh, God, that would be insane. But... You know, with this, it's just about finding, um, yeah, it's just about finding the right, uh, finding the right niche and find the right way to test it and looking for what's going to generate that response at the beginning. And then you can always expand from that first niche to another one, to another one, to another one, go incrementally. 
I have a I have a uh, an idea. Okay, <laughs> you okay. you had mentioned that there was a um, a designer or design firm that was on Startup Guild that would partner up with with technical startups and do the design for some sort of uh, profit sharing or something like that, right? Yeah, was the name of like Ma, Ma, sorry, with an M, like, Ma, the, the Madre, the Ma, the Madre, right? The Madre, be, yeah. It would be interesting to to come up with ideas, technical ideas, as a technical. Uh, founder, technical, you know, person that you could, you know, really partner up with a couple people. You could partner up with a firm like that, and if they were willing, if they if they thought it was a good idea, and they said, "Look, if you build it, you know, we'll design it," and you talk to Keith, and Keith's like, "Look, you build it and design it, we'll market it." Right. So then you got three pieces of the puzzle because we always talk about, you know, how building a successful startup is really about getting all those pieces together. It's not just building something that's technically interesting and cool. It's getting those three pieces all together, right? And that would be one yeah, way. That, 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 that would be one way to do it, um, sort of on a budget. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to be giving up some potential revenue, but you'd be doing it if you brought in founders anyway. Except you'd probably be doing it in a much um, more simplified manner because you signing a simple contract with a, a design firm and with Keith would be a lot less complex than working out a a, a, a more uh, an operating agreement within an LLC with two or three founders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd need to get uh, uh, if you could find another SEO guy in there, then you could get the whole the whole equation. You'd have to design your SEO and your PPC. Mm-hmm. Right. You talk about the distributed, you know, just sort of a distributed just in time company. You know. Um, yes. Actually, that's that is a very good way of putting it. I like that thought. Now suddenly, I think I'm going to have to create the Y Combinator for marketing. <laughs> right. Well, well the good, yeah, but the good thing would be to 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 kind of join forces with as yeah. as Jason's saying. So the mad the Madre's out there already offering this for design. Mm-hmm. So if you were to join for, join force with him and create some kind of new combination, so it's a different kind of combinator. It's like a it's like, what, a what, what com- it's just a combinator, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I- it's internet just... combinator. We're com- combining <laughs> yeah. the internet, the I combinator, right? The M combinator, marketing combinator, um, or Z combinator, Zor's combinator. Um, yeah, <laughs> I like I like it because I think I bet you could really facilitate this even on something like Startup Guild, right? Like you could have mm-hmm. a contest for ideas, get some technical mm-hmm. people working on some stuff, um, you know, and you almost have like American Idol, right? You know, people are judging. You have people like you and the design and, and, and one or more design firms or whoever. The people say, all right, and everybody who gets a checkbox of each one, I mean, that's an acceptance. Okay, build it and, you know, finish the build. And uh, it would also be a good thing to blog about, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, it could build yeah. a bit of a following. Yeah, way. but I have I have another question. Um, so you you were talking about spending one thousand to three thousand to, to test mm-hmm. a typical company. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs who are bootstrapping or starting up hear about using AdSense and testing stuff with AdSense or testing stuff with um, Facebook ads. Now, how can anyone be expected to to understand? how well it works and you know by spending three thousand when they don't have any money right so it's okay for you mm-hmm. if well, i guess what i'm saying is if it takes a pro like you three thousand to test adwords out how the hell can any of us have a chance with adwords <laughs> you know it is uh, google has not made this game easy any longer it's definitely not a place that is friendly to to the newbie out the gate and i think that is to their detriment and i think it is definitely a failing uh at the same time, there are companies that are trying to make this initial step easier. Um, I forget the name of one. I think they were even Y Combinator that came from it. And it's like, hey, put in 200 bucks and we'll do some paid search for you. And if it works, then you pay another two. It's something like that. I mean, so there are people trying to do innovative methods of, of making this happen. But I still look at it and I go, it, it is a tougher, a far tougher game now 
than it was three years ago, even 12 months ago. At the same time, it is still a numbers game. It is still something where if you take your time, you're patient, you are, you are slow. You know, you take little baby steps, dip your finger in the water and test the temperature and find the right spots. If you do that, you can do it. And even a small startup, if they just take that approach and be very narrow, just look for where, like if you're, if you're making blue widgets, don't bid on widgets, bid on blue widgets or buy blue widgets, that kind of thing. Stay with the narrow yeah. focus. Yes, as a startup, you can do it. But the, the trade-off is that it takes time and energy and effort. And often in a small startup, you don't have that time or energy or effort to spare. Hmm. Yeah, which is the, uh, the argument for outsourcing, right? Mm-hmm. Justin, I mean, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's why you outsource, because you, you have a limited amount of, of resources and time and, mm-hmm. and expertise, right? Because what, what would take you 30 hours, it might take uh, Keith two or mm-hmm. three and sometimes it doesn't make sense for us to do it. I've, I've turned away clients and said, hey, look, you know, I, I love your product. I love what you guys are doing. Or, heck, even one of them was a Fortune 500 brand. And I'm like, I can't do anything for you. Right. Why wouldn't you be able to do something for a company like that? Um, it's not the, ty- not the type of product that markets well through paid search. Either if they're, like the monetization is too long-term, like one of them was, of all things, synthetic decks. And I looked at it and I'm like, I'd love synthetic to do stuff what? for you guys, but decking. De- oh, decks. I'm yeah, glad sy- you said decks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> synthetic. Yes, decking for your and your patios and siding. And I'm just like, I want to do this for you guys, but and I know that you're trying to pay me a very good sum to do it, but I can't. I can't assure you that I'm generating you profit. You can pay me for something that people do on your site, but I have no way to tell if it's making you money. I can't do it. Right, right. So you've talked a little bit, or Justin, I was going to change the subject, but if you want to continue on No, this. I was going to change the subject too. I was going to start asking him about um, his, uh, some, some of the other projects that he's working on. Yeah, go ahead. That was what I was going to go. So why don't you go ahead? Okay, cool. Yeah. So I know that you've got, I mean, you're not just an affiliate marketer mm-hmm. uh, or with a marketing company. You've also got a few startups on the go. And I'd be interested mm-hmm. if you could just run us through those. Well, um, we created, so a little bit over a year ago, a good friend of mine, Gotham, and I created a startup for mobile and social apps and just web apps and pretty much any cool stuff we could make. And we now have four people in the company. We work about three days a week in a hackathon format. So Tuesday and Thursday nights, they show up at my front door and we sit downstairs in my living room with our laptops and hack until about midnight. And then we work all day Saturdays. And it's very cool. I love working on it. They're fantastically brilliant. And what we're after is trying to create you know, awesome applications. And I guess you could say our motto is relentless innovation in the sense that we'll innovate even in an established, filled-up market if we find a better way to do something. Uh, Some of what we did is, you know, we have a mobile app that we're working on right now called Thoughtly, T-H-O-T-L-Y. And it's like you've seen Message Party, you've seen Color, you've seen all these local apps. What we're trying to do is completely dispense with all of the previous notions of social networks and how it's all supposed to work and start fresh. Um, you could say it's even got a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons thrown in. So that one, 
that one we're looking for beta users for simply because it's the a lot of people in the hyperlocal space have been trying to make apps that work with you know with all this local chat, but the problem is getting people in an area, getting enough people to build a critical mass. We think we've got a better way to do it, but again, it's always a question of test, 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 test. And I think you know that's what, where do people go to find out about that? Uh, thoughtly.com, t h o t l y dot com. And that's so. Where, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say we're actively taking beta users right now. So. Okay, so how 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 do you how do you mix in a little Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> that would be interesting <laughs> to know. Because we said that there's no reason why a local social network should act like Facebook with latitude and longitude. It just makes absolutely zero sense. Facebook's already done Facebook and Twitter's already done Twitter and there's absolutely no reason why we should try and say, oh, we took Twitter, for instance, and we added XY coordinates and stuck you in the world. So no, don't bother with that. Um, in fact, in some ways we said, let's take, some, take a lot from the pages or from 4chan. You know, let's look for what other people have done that was really innovative in a different context and combine it all together. And the end result of that is a system where you're, you're literally communicating with people almost as a game. And how people react to you and how you react to people determines your stats. And it's a pretty fascinating thing. And... <laughs> You gain power in your area as a communicator based on this, which is, you know, the system is, oh man, we have uh, one of our four people in this company that does neural networks. He wrote, a, he wrote a chip optimization algorithm for IBM and he sat down and started working on this system. And uh, it's pretty crazy what, what you can do and how, how your actions and people's reactions to them affect what you can do. So I don't want to get too far into it yet as we haven't done a public release, but it's pretty cool. I'd hate to break this to you, but that is a game. (laughs) It's, 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 it it is a game. Yes. And still (laughs) not because it doesn't feel like it when you're using it. It feels like you're still talking with people and doing things, but there's, it's kind of like, you know, Foursquare made badges, which added, uh, added a very interesting dimension to your local stuff, and then we wanted to take that and kind of, kind of Foursquare went one way with it as rewards. We wanted to take it another way and turn it into mechanics. Yeah, yeah, it's so, what we've talked about before. You know, it's, you know, it's generally referred to as game mechanics. And mm-hmm. um, um, blanking on the guy's name over at uh, Union Square Ventures, um, who's the VC, is always talking about game mechanics being the big deal in uh, startups because mm-hmm. it oh, increases. Sure. Um, the ability to engage engage your audience every audience increases engagement right if it's a game people want and has the has that sort of psychological reinforcement that a game Mm -hmm. has then you you people are using it more they're maybe pulling Mm -hmm. other people into it etc well the you know the difference with say foursquare between thoughtly is foursquare is oriented towards you know oriented towards actions that you're taking right now and saying hey i'm doing this you're saying it back to the world and you're gaining rewards for things that you do, are what we did is we went off a different direction where your actions are purely in a local context, and we're also trying to make it so that, as opposed to getting just a badge saying, hey, I achieved this, it's a bit of a competition, a bit of a power game, and you have 
of certain statistics about yourself too. As in, like you have a Dungeons and Dragons character sheet, and thoughtly you have your own stats, and those change. So that's part of the interesting thing that we're trying to do with it. Right. That's very cool. And so you said you you'd done a few hackathons. Like, how many other apps um, have come out of those hackathons, and what are they? What are they? Um, the other the other major one right now that we that we have uh, made a public uh, announcement about is called fic.fm, fic.fm, and that yeah. was basically took a look over it. You know, took a look at the world of fan fiction and original fiction, serial based, not actually novel based, just individual chapters, updates by authors that just want to write and write amazing things, and said there's a distinct opportunity to make a better platform. A better way to do it. And like we were talking about before, where so what if somebody's already in the market and they're established? The people I'm trying to compete with in that are very established. They've been there for years, but they're complacent. They haven't changed. They haven't updated. Their website designs are the same over the last seven years. I look at it and I go, I want to make a better platform for people to write, whether it's fan fiction, whether it's you know web comics or just general original fiction, and to create a better way to not only write, but to discover. I think that like Tumblr and Posturus are great examples of companies who just came into a market that was very well established mm-hmm. and they just did something different. Yep. And then now they're huge, you know? That that's the same goal we have here too, is you know, taking a page out of Tumblr's playbook and saying saying we want to create a better mechanic for how to interact and how to read and how to write and how to discover in that industry and that that whole market. And it's a it's a sort of thing too where people are very passionate about it. I love to read. I read a ton online and I've always been unhappy with with the places where I go to read. And I find out that the authors are unhappy with the places that they have to go to write. So we decided to create a better solution for that. And uh is there a monetization strategy for FICFM, or is it? Or is you just trying to get people using it? I mean, what's the status? It start. It starts with just getting people using it because what we want to do is we want to perfect this whole platform for writing. You know, it's one thing to have a great way for reading and discovering content, but if your writing platform sucks, then there's going to be nothing to read. At the same time, we want to create better ways for you know, writers and artists to also have their identity be online. That's part of the monetization. Then the other part of it too is nobody says that original content can't have microtransactions. So if you want to subscribe to a story, someone's serial that they update once a month, hey, that that makes good sense. That's monetization there. Right. So, so are you getting are you getting itchy feet about the whole affiliate thing and kind of thinking maybe I'll branch out into startups? Uh it's also affiliate. Here's the funny thing. Affiliate marketing applies to startups very heavily. Um, Hipmunk is an affiliate. That's how they make money. Every single travel, everything. They're an affiliate for every last airline out there. Because Hipmunk said, well, of course. You know, we want to get paid for every single, every single sale that goes through. Um, Mint.com is another one. Mint.com is a great free financial tool but every time you go get your credit score every new savings account you open every credit card application you get those are all paid so for us you know any of these products have may have affiliate strategies for parts that can't be monetized directly through subscriptions or other ways it's just affiliate is a part of the monetization where it makes sense you do it so do you think that something a, a product like plugio should have affiliate monetization plugged in and what would it take? What would it be? You know, it could any any sort of additional value. 
So if you if there's a parallel product to Plugio, that would be a great upsell on top of it. Um, whether it's, you know, I off the top of my head, I wouldn't know what to say um, which one. But if there was a product that people that were using Plugio also liked to use X product, if you let's say for you know just for startups in general, it's great to do a survey and say to your users, do you use any of this software? And ask them, do you use this or this or this or this or this or this? And if a whole bunch of people say, yes, I use MailChimp, go get a, go be part of the MailChimp affiliate program and stick in a MailChimp affiliate link on your site and tell huh. people about MailChimp. You know, no reason you can't collect a commission from that. Yeah, nice, nice idea. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, and, and I want to ask you a little bit more about your, um, I don't know, your, your uh, the, what's it called? At the, your think tank? Think FM? Yeah. Know, the, or the, the think the, tank? Apps, app, uh, what, what's the name Absors. Absors, right. So Absors. Absors yeah. Now, do you have partners that owned by you, or do you, are, these, are these guys you're working with and do the hackathons with, are they partners, employees, and what's the arrangement? They're, they're, all, they're all partners. Um, it originally was uh, my friend Gotham and I, uh, the original two partners, and then we had two employees, uh, Will and Jeff. Mm-hmm. But Will and Jeff have been with us since September of last year, and they've been just amazing. And we made them co-founders about a month and a half ago. Just said, okay. look, guys, you've been... They more than shown their dedication to it, right. so yeah. So you figured you figured if they're if they're partners, that's they're they'll stick with it for the long haul. I mean, you hate to have mm-hmm. them walk in six months because they got an offer from Google or something and be like, yeah. oh, that's too that sucks. So yeah. are are you just you guys have these hackathons and then you come up with an idea and then what you you try and get something out in like I don't know four to six weeks and um, see see what the reception is, then go on to something else. I mean, what's sort of your model? Our model right now is like so we have. We have four total products. Our first absolute priority is Thoughtly, and mm-hmm. that one is also the most intense in terms of development, so that takes most of our development time. And then we have a couple other products, Fic.fm, um, which is the first one past Thoughtly that's gotten a public announcement, that we work on as kind of second tier. Okay. And once Thoughtly gets, like we're actually raising money okay. to market the holy heck out of Thoughtly, and... You know, once we get that, then we'll do more focus on that and just incrementally keep releasing these products. This is something that Jason really likes the idea of. He's talked about this a number of times. It's kind of like the Bill Gross Idea Lab approach to, mm-hmm. to startups. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I actually I had an interesting experience about that, too. So I was using Plugio yesterday, and I, um, from one of my Twitter accounts, it's, a, it's a, an interesting little Twitter account about startup stuff. And I tweeted at a VC firm, and I said, you guys are having a startup competition. You know, I, we've got a couple different products and we were interested in your competition, should we apply with just one application for all of our products, or should we do one application per product? And their, their reply was, oh, we only want companies that are totally focused, just like most other VCs. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, wait a minute. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I understand that you would want to say, hey, you know, you need to be focused and committed to what you're doing, but at the same time, all of our products are based on the same underlying technology. This, this uh, behavioral system that we've built underpins it all. And we are focused and dedicated to our products and organized. So I was really surprised by that attitude. Well, it's, 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 it's sort of pattern matching, right? I mean, I think, yeah. I think a lot of people, most people, the vast mm-hmm. majority of people pattern match. They don't look at underlying principles and sort of think for themselves. They just pattern match. Say, oh, that's what everybody else is doing. That's what we got to do. It's herd mentality. Mm-hmm. It's why there are uh, booms and busts in the stock market. Everybody chases things 
things up, they chase things down, they chase trends, they, you know, VCs and everyone's prone to it. And so um, I, I wouldn't expect that most people would have any um, ability to sort of think through and say, well, I could see how that might work. I mean, but you can find instances where it works. If they sit down and think about it long enough, like for instance, 37 Signals is, you know, mm -hmm. we use them for examples for a ton of things, but that's another mm -hmm. thing that they did. They released Basecamp um, and they weren't, and as they bootstrapped it while they had a you know, they were doing consulting work for clients and then they had like, you know, to dial, to, was it to dial list or to do, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it was called backpack. And they just started releasing all these little things and someone could say, oh, well, they should just stay focused on uh, Basecamp. But they didn't. They, they released High Rise and Campfire and, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that works. I mean, you can see how in certain contexts with certain types of products that aren't overly complex that you can do that. No problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what we look at as the goal here is let's make, let's make awesome products. And, you know, I, I've already found, so I made the little announcement about FIC.FM and I, I'm getting a big response for a little, hey, we're in beta, sign up for our beta list page. I was pretty surprised by that. So, I mean, it tells you that even, even a small idea, if you put something together over a week and you just put it up and try and get some feedback, you could find a lot of feedback comes in right out the gate and tells you that there is a market there. Yeah, one, one of the things that I, Jess and I have discussed a little bit, and you know, the, my, my primary project is something called App Ignite, which is, in a, in a sense, it allows you to build these web applications um, sort of very quickly within sort of minutes mm. as opposed to spending months. Sort of like how Wufu, think of Wufu. Have you used Wufu, the form builder, you know, drag drop type of thing? For building I've checked forms? it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, think of that um, on top of Rails, for instance. Nice. Well, I, I think of him as, I, I, I describe Apignite as basically he's building his own version of Ruby on Rails, but with drag drop. So that it makes it means that you can essentially drag drop apps and build them out in you know half an hour kind of thing, and then you just need to skin them. Yeah, and that's very cool. Generates the schema and the JavaScript and the AJAX and the forms and the HTML and the everything, right? The authentication systems, all that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, in my idea was always like, okay, this can this can be a lot of provide a lot of value, especially for companies that have a lot of internal apps and. And for consulting companies that need to build a lot of these apps for whoever needs them built. And, and uh, you know, they go out and charge ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and then mm -hmm. build it in a fraction of the time it would take to actually build it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But the thought is, uh, you know, you could also even even if that didn't work out as well as I had hoped for some for whatever reason, that I could use it to build a lot of applications mm -hmm. and like you were just talking about, because that's always been my you know, something I wanted to do is have sort of like this, you know, idea lab type of situation where mm -hmm. you, you identify a market, say, hey, I'd like to compete in that market or I have an idea or a new twist on something and let's just get this thing up, but not have to spend three months getting it up, have to spend, you know, generate 80 to 95 percent of it and then spend a couple of days or a couple of weeks writing the custom code, get it designed and then boom, you're in the you're you're in the race. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I could see the desire to do that. I, I, I have a, you know, Justin, and I have had and debates about whether that's a smart thing to do and whether it would cause me to lose focus on Epic Night, which, you know, to some degree it probably would. But mm -hmm. in a way, you know, what would be what would be easier an easier way to reach sort of um, enough generate enough revenue so that I don't have to do consulting work so I can focus on mm -hmm. all the stuff, right? Would it be easier to to get Epic Night up to where it's making a lot of money or generate four or five different apps that are each generating a couple thousand dollars a month? In which case, okay, now I'm free. Uh, I'd say if I were you, I would, I would want to focus on App Ignite because it's one thing when you're when you're developing products and you're putting those together and you get them up and then they make some money and you can maybe you know find what it, 
what products work. But with App Ignite, that's a platform. Right. That's a platform that you want other people to go make the apps for, and that you want to get a percentage in some fashion of that. So I would focus on App Ignite simply because I'm interested. I look at that and go, holy crap, that would be pretty awesome. And that would probably, that's, that is a high-value product, and it's a platform. Because like the problem with a lot of startups that we see coming out is that, okay, so great, you've got a cool product. But all they have is a product. And the advantage and the disadvantage of the whole cloud mentality that's come around is that you're not building infrastructure. You're not building a foundation. You're standing on top of other people's systems. And the advantage you have is that your time to develop is very short now and that your cost to develop is very low. So it's far easier to do this. But at the same time, you don't have, you don't own that platform beneath it. For for our app company, we have developed like we've developed this whole CMS system. We've developed this behavioral targeting neural network behind it all because we want a foundation. We don't want to have to completely rely on other cloud-based providers for it. With App Ignite, that's something that other people will rely on you for. Right, right. That is very important. Yeah, so one of the things I was thinking about, and just to finish it off, is I was like, well, I'm going to generate at least a couple anyway as sort of a um, proof of concept. Mm-hmm. You know how Ruby mm-hmm. would have the build a blog in 15 minutes? Yeah. And one of the examples that I thought might be my first would be, you know, 37 Seagulls came out with sort of a blog post about some internal tool they called iterations, which allowed people to, to vote on new features and to say if they'd like to work on it and comment mm-hmm. on it and stuff. And it was just sort of an agile way of, of getting that, making that decision process move um, you know, through the pro- pipeline. And I was like, you know, but it was just an internal tool. I mean, people read a blog post and were like, oh, that looks really cool, right? But no one can use it. I'm like, all right, I'll generate that, right? And I'm like, well, why just generate it and make a screencast about generating, which would be great for App Ignite because then people would look at that and go, first of all, they'd go, oh, holy crap, they, he built that? He generated that? That would be a great showcase for App Ignite's power. But then I was thinking, well, people would probably pay for that, for, for iterations or some, something like it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, maybe you're right. Maybe Justin is right. I mean, I, I think you guys make really points. It's like, okay, maybe one as a as a demo, but don't get. But that could pull focus. Well, get opinion. other get other people to make the demos, because right. then they're going to promote your own platform. They're going to say, hey, I'm built on App Ignite. Check out my cool product. Have mm-hmm. a competition and tell people that, you know, tell people that the the top three apps that get voted up are the three apps with the most page views, I don't know, get to get, fo- get, to get featured on the App Ignite homepage for this month. Right. And now you've created a competition. Right. right. It's, it scales better as well because then those people, it's kind of like Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if, you look at, if you look at Kickstarter, there's thousands and thousands of people trying to do stuff on there. Mm-hmm. But there's like three or four or five people who are doing really well, who are putting lots of effort in and are raising huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. The same thing could happen with App Ignite. You could have like a thousand people building apps Mm-hmm. But just you only need like two or three people to really make it who've got the energy. Yeah. And then that's it. And that's the level of energy that you would need to put into your own apps. But if you're putting that energy in, mm-hmm. you know, how could you put it in and then also put it into App Ignite kind of thing? Right. You know, it would pull focus. It would definitely pull focus. And, and except, and, and I don't, you know, I don't mean to stay this long on the topic, but I'll just say mm-hmm. one of those things. That, uh, <laughs> it's um, Keith's show. Yeah, I know. I, Sorry about that. Uh, hey, you're passionate about it. It's cool. And I didn't know about this yeah. product. It's kind of awesome sounding. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, so, well, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a few beta testers or hourly alpha testers. So maybe okay. we should talk after the show. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the thing was is that, for instance, I have a consulting project where I'm building 
um, a pretty sophisticated modern web application with all the cool mm-hmm. social stuff, ratings and reviews and favorites and search and all that kind of stuff. And so what I'm doing is I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, so App Ignite can do a lot of this, but then there's about five or six major features it can't. So now I'm, uh, I'm rather than going to write it by hand, I just go into a build and generator for it. I'm like, okay, well, we need, um, you know, for instance, I need search. I didn't have search built in. So last day or two, I'm building in an easy way to add search. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a way of like saying when you go to build an application, um, rather than building it by hand, you build the generator and then you use it across. I mean, it's, it's not too different than if you're building, um, I guess, when DHH built Rails for Basecamp, right? I mean, he, he was building Basecamp mm-hmm. and he figured, okay, well, I'll just build it into Rails and then everything mm-hmm. can use it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just look at, I look at Epic Night and the concept and I think that what would be awesome is if you just have a contest and say, hey, this is the Epic Night contest. The top three voted most innovative or interesting or cool apps get featured on the Epic Night homepage. And don't ask people to make highly profitable stuff. Don't ask people to make boring stuff. Just say, make something weird or cool, whatever it is. Mm. Because right. that turns into link bait. Hey, there's an application that'll let you turn yourself into a cow that moves. I mean, I don't know, whatever. Well, then we create like a, the the contest we're talking about earlier. Then you say, okay, the top three will be voted. We'll be create a. We'll get into some sort of uh, you know uh, design and marketing relationship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Then they go into the the Zool's, um the Z Combinator. Uh, Z Combinator. <laughs> yes, they go into Z Combinator. Okay. And, then, and then they go from there. I mean, it, when, when you do that, you've turned it from, and this is a lesson for, I think, for all startups is that, you know, when you have a, when you have a lower level product, don't actually try and focus on making top level products um, on it exclusively. Also look at it and go, how can you turn yourself into a standard? How can you turn yourself into a platform upon which others rely? When you become essential to another business, or to a consumer for something, you have become something that they're never going to let go. Because you you see it, when you're indispensable, you you now have an immense market power. And it's a lot harder for a competitor to unseat you once people have become very dependent and reliant, and then you uphold your end of the relationship. You bring back the rest of that to them. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good Mm. point. I like the way you think, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Justin, I've been obviously hogging the floor. So, um. well, I think I mean to be honest, I think we we should wrap the show up. But okay. just before we do, I'm interested to ask Keith if there's anything else he'd like to bring to light or talk about. I think um, one of the things that has uh, one of the things I always want to caution uh, caution startups about and a lot of people that look at PPC and online marketing about is that there's always a huge number of people that tell you that it's super easy, that you can do X or you can do Y, you can make a whole bunch of money doing this or that. And it's very easy to get suckered into it. I want to emphasize to everybody that looks at PPC, that looks at affiliate marketing or Facebook ads, and remember that it is something that's a lot easier than it looks when you look at it you know, at first glance, but at the same time, it is nowhere near as easy as many people make it out to be. Take your time, focus, work incrementally, and be very patient and don't give up. And if you need to do it yourself, if you don't have money to, to have someone else do it for you, just patience and just take your time because if 
you do that, it will pay off. And it becomes an amazing tool for you when you do that. Sorry, one question back about that is you're obviously a very successful affiliate marketer um, who makes a good living just purely on affiliate marketing. Why don't you start a course and teach affiliate marketing? What, what stopped you from doing that, which is what so many affiliate marketers do? Because I'm highly secretive about, about all of my techniques and everything else because affiliate marketing is hyper, hyper competitive. Every, every day, there's always tons of people that are trying to pile in. As you, as you were saying, Jason, about the stock market, there yeah. are hundreds of thousands of people that just pile in and duplicate and duplicate and duplicate. And as an affiliate, you hold every last secret you have very close to the vest. At the same time, you know, it, it's, it's something I look at as a competitive advantage for me. We have a lot of secrets for how we do PPC that we don't tell anyone about. But at the same time, I really don't think that for a lot of people that affiliate marketing is a good living. So you believe that you will make more money just being just hands-on kind of doing the gardening rather than teaching people how to garden. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, I'd love to teach people how to garden, but the problem is that people want a magic pill. People want, right. people want an affiliate marketing. So they learn how to do affiliate marketing. Try And I know personally a good friend of mine who taught me a lot about affiliate marketing was trying to teach people affiliate marketing with the, uh, with the course saying, this is hard work required. It's not easy, but I'll teach you how to do it and how to make a good living. And he did teach. He wanted people to learn, but people wouldn't buy because people want a magic pill. So unless yeah. you're willing to give them a magic pill, you won't make money at teaching it. Well, it, it, it sounds kind of similar to, or, or I should say that it seems that when, when it's a good idea to teach what you know is when it's not so much a zero-sum game. So like yes. um, a guy, um, Michael Hartle, I, I know, he too has a really popular uh, screencast on learning Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, so if other people learn Ruby, so if another five or 10 or 20,000 people learn Ruby, and I mean, that's not really going to affect him, even if he does some consulting work in Ruby, right? Yep. If Amy Hoy starts a course on doing startups and there are and another, you know, 50 startups pop up as a result or hundred startups, that doesn't really directly impact her. But mm-hmm. if, if another hundred uh, affiliates uh, pop up who are mar- using your techniques that could affect you directly yes and it may not offset and the income from your course may not be enough to offset what you're able to generate from um actually doing the affiliate marketing yourself yep and so i look at that as 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 something where really i think i'm i think that i'm serving the community better by providing my services at a good price and working you know working ethically and honestly with everyone that i work with at a very high standard because then Hey, we're all doing better, and I and letting the people that are awesome technical people be awesome technical people, and I can do my marketing thing, and they can do their thing, and we all do what we're best at. Right. You know, Keith, I'm sure that there's a lot of listeners listening to that to this show. I don't know if they've got this far, but um, <laughs> yeah, basically, half of them peeled <laughs> off after an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because I'm just I'm just thinking that we we want those listeners to contact you, right? So to to pitch you and say, look. We have a product that we'd like you to affiliate market, mm-hmm. and you're probably interested in hearing from them, right? So, what what email address Definitely should am. they send? Keith, what email address? Uh, Keith at Zorz dot com. K e i t h at z o r z dot com, or just hit me up on Twitter at kzors. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. get you some deal yeah. flow, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm, now I am going to go talk to some VCs and go, hey, so how about we make this uh, sort of marketing combinator thing? Uh, it's a good idea. 
Exactly. Z Combinator. I'm telling you, that's that's the new uh, that's the new meme. All right, Keith. Well, look, listen, th- thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank yeah. you, guys. I appreciate the time. This has been very fantastic. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I definitely like to be, uh, speak to you offline. I think uh, you might be an ideal uh, alpha tester for Epic Night if you got some time. Please do. I'd love to check it out. All right. Well, that's a wrap. We're out. Bye.